0: Good morning. It's great to be with you again. I mentioned earlier I was here last in October and the weather was the exact same, this misty kind of rain. So I'm starting to wonder if it's me. But if, if I come back in June and it looks like this, then we'll know it's me. But we, we might look forward to this in June. Um, we're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. So please stand if you're able, and we will hear God's word from Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 15. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. Grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We know that it always accomplishes your purposes. We pray that that will be true this morning in our hearts. We pray that you would teach us from your word, by your spirit. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. this is a time of year that I think a lot about seasons, start to look forward to spring, probably you do as well. And so I have thought a lot recently about this text from Ecclesiastes, which is one of the most unique books of the Bible. Ecclesiastes is distinctive, it is different, and it invites us into all sorts of, of big picture thinking about our lives and perhaps even our deaths. And so before we jump in, just a a couple notes on what we're dealing with in this book. Ecclesiastes was written by a vastly wealthy, extravagantly wise, and politically powerful person who most throughout history have taken to be King Solomon. I think it was probably King Solomon. Uh, There are some complex arguments for and against his authorship. Uh, The writer, though, self-identifies by this particular Hebrew word, uh kahelet, which means something like the, the preacher or convener or perhaps philosopher or teacher, or professor. That's what Kohelet means. And um, if you read Ecclesiastes, Kohelet comes across sort of spiritually disheveled. Okay, Um, uh, maybe a little bit cynical, kind of wild and dangerous, like like a a dog that was house trained at some point but has been uh, running wild for a while. And because of that, uh, Ecclesiastes uh, sounds a little bit different than a lot of the rest of the Bible. And uh, one feature of it we'll notice today is um, it is a book of intense, sometimes overwhelming realism. It assumes suffering, it assumes a very deep sort of existential disillusionment that even God's people struggle with, and it assumes death. It is very gritty in that way, and so more than any other book of the Bible, Ecclesiastes speaks to some of the just bewildering cycles in our lives of of joy and pain and pleasure and sorrow. And so that is especially what we'll discuss this morning, the, the seasons of life. And so J.I. Packer put it this way. This was actually his, his favorite book of the Bible. Um, he says that Ecclesiastes teaches us that this world's course is enigmatic, that much of what happens is quite inexplicable to us, and that most occurrences under the sun There are no outward sign of a rational, moral God ordering them at all. That is some some truth serum there. And so the the author, the preacher, in other words, is is asking us to wrestle with some of the unavoidable and unpleasant aspects of our lives. And he's saying in in this life, under the sun, um, meaning uh, in this world, he, he uses this phrase often, under the sun, that there is a time for everything, a time for everything. And so what does that mean for us? Well, uh, we're going to unpack it in three sections. Uh, I'm calling the first, Season of Seasons, that's 1 through 8, and then Eat, Drink, and Be Merry, that's 9 through 13, and then Forever, Ever, It's 14 and 15. So uh, let's look at the first of these. The, the preacher begins with essentially a poem, Uh, This is a a famous part of the Bible. You may have heard it before. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And then he kind of ping-pongs between, uh, I I like how one commentator puts it, disquiets and delights. Okay, so think of it this way. A a time to be born. It sounds delightful, right? Um, a, A time to die. That's disquieting. A time to kill, that's disquieting. A time to heal, that's delightful. And so he goes on and on, back and forth, uh, surveying really the range of human experience. War and peace, weeping and laughing, love and hate. What does all this mean? Uh, It's a very different note than we usually hear in the Bible. Um, I think that what's happening here is the, the preacher is teaching us wisdom. Okay, So uh, all wisdom is rooted in God, and that means the Bible, because it's God's word, is the best place to find it. And, and that might seem obvious to us, um, but it's, it's really a, a counterintuitive way to approach the Bible, this idea of wisdom. The Bible is a book of wisdom. I think um, instead, uh, we generally approach the Bible not as much as a, a book of wisdom but uh, I think in, in one of at least two other ways, and you can see both of these approaches actually if you walk into uh, like a Barnes & Noble, we'll say, uh, into their uh, sort of Bible section. So on the one hand, um, in uh, almost any store um, that carries Bibles, you will find uh, some very serious-looking reference Bibles, Okay like with a, a lot of stuff in there. we got chapters, verses, indexes, cross-references, study notes, okay? And, and these Bibles encourage us to approach the Scriptures as a, a sort of uh, reference book. Like you can find these ex- exact place where maybe your question is, is answered. It's, it's almost like the, the Bible is a constitution, or a, a spiritual Ikea manual, okay? So these Bibles, in other words, make it look like that the Scriptures are a book of answers. But on, on the other hand, we can also see uh, in a bookstore, this is a newer development, but uh, you will now find Bibles that swing the other way, and they are more colorful, um, They might have some art on them and provide space for you to journal. They seem to be encouraging you to approach God's Word as more personal, more therapeutic, uh, more concerned with perhaps connecting with your innermost feelings and and expressing them. Um, They present the Bible more as a book of questions for you to answer yourself. Now... um, uh, I'm sure that there is a time and a place for, for both of those Bibles. And um, I, I do think that those approaches are, are a little bit different than wisdom, okay? Wisdom acknowledges the questions and the answers. And that is to say that the purpose of God's Word is not actually to give you uh, systematic clarity and the thing to do in every situation, though it does some. Nor is the purpose of God's word to unlock your innermost feelings, though it does that some. Instead, and there's a long, is a long definition, and I think that I thought it up, but if I, I miss the reference here, I'm not sure. But I think that the purpose of the Bible is to tell you the story of redemption from sin that was planned by the Father and executed by Jesus the Son in his life and death and resurrection and applied by the Spirit in and through the church so that you can glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, that I, I, I'm going to read that one more time. The purpose of the Bible is to tell you the story of the redemption from sin that was planned by the Father, executed by Jesus the Son in his life and death and resurrection and applied by the Spirit in and through the church so that you can glorify God and enjoy him forever. This idea is at the heart of Ecclesiastes, which is a wisdom book. Now, uh, all the Bible is a wisdom book in some ways, or really a a wisdom library, but Ecclesiastes is in the the biblical genre of wisdom literature. That is why things are so gray and confusing in this book. God is, through the preacher, teaching you, giving you the essence of life, explaining to you, for instance, that, that you will have a wedding day and best friends And sunsets on vacation and holidays when the family that you love is all under one roof, and those will be some of the best days of your life. But this book is also explaining that you will have a day when you bury a loved one, when you lose a job, when you have a terrible fight with your spouse, when you get devastating medical news, and those days will be some of the worst. And these are the seasons of life under the sun. This is the normal course of life. Under the sun. Reminds me of the, the children's book by Shel Silverstein called The Giving Tree. Ecclesiastes is saying there will be a day when you feel this, the strength of your youth and hopes and goals and dreams, and, and uh, they will be close enough for you to touch. And there will also be a day when you are weak and tired, and uh, as the book says, have not enough energy to dream one more dream. So the Bible is a wisdom book. We might also say it's a foolishness book. That's the flip side of wisdom. Foolishness is resistance to the way that God has made things. And certainly there are plenty of examples in the Bible. The, the fool in Scripture has no sense of place. He has no sense of the created order, no sense of time or season. The fool is inflexible in that way. He cannot weep when something happens worth Weeping over, a fool cannot rejoice when something happens, worth rejoicing over. When he is young, he wants to pretend he has the wisdom of old age. When he is old, he wants to pretend like he has the vigor of youth. The fool is self-centered. But the wise love God first and love others in turn as he is commanded. And they have a sense of time and season that helps them notice It helps them care for other people. This is from a commentator named Zach Eswine. He says, relationally unprepared, in other words, relationally foolish, we can believe that if someone experiences uh, one of these disquieting or or delightful seasons, the reasons must arise from something they have personally done to deserve it or bring it on. Either way, we can self-righteously judge the first and secretly covet or envy the second. Sadly, we will not know how to think truly about God or to walk relationally with neighbors or family members if we or they experience times that we have committed our whole lives to avoiding. Consequently, we often hurt those who must walk through what we would prefer not to think about. So to be wise, the preacher is arguing, is to recognize that God has given your life a a sort of weather system, okay? Um, It is not 72 and sunny every day in your life. There is spring and summer in your life, fall and winter, and likewise, every part of Scripture is not law to brood over, nor is every part of Scripture uh, a sort of personal devotional to journal over, and that's actually okay. The diversity of God's Word matches the diversity of our lives, and it is a feature and not a bug. Well, how do we know? Because God tells us in our second section here, it says verses 9 through 13 eat, drink, and be merry. Verse 9 What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity in a man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, and that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. So look at uh, verse 11. How do we know that it's God's will for all of us to experience seasons in life? It's because he has made everything beautiful in its time. It's a profound statement of providence. For the delights, that is easy to to see. Of course, it's beautiful when a baby is born or when we dance and, and celebrate at a wedding or when we embrace a friend, but uh, how can we find beauty in war and death and loss? We'll come back to that question in a moment, but uh, again, in verses 12 and 13, the preacher returns to the dignity of, of simple pleasures. Everyone, verse 13, should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. This is an important point that the preacher is making here. He's saying that the, the battleground for your heart is, is what you find pleasure in. Okay? It's, it's what you delight in. One of the great Christian classics, C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, um, it's a very interesting book. Uh, it's, it's been called The Saga of the Devil's Mind, and it gets at uh, this very thing. Uh, here's what Screwtape, In the book, tells Wormwood, who is a minor demon, about pleasure. And uh, in screw tape letters, everything is reversed. This is demon speaking. So uh, when he says enemy, he's actually talking about God. But uh, he says this Never forget that when we are dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are, in a sense, on the enemy's ground. I know we have won many a soul through pleasure. All the same, it is his invention, not ours. He made, the, uh, he made the pleasures. All our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. All we can do is to encourage the humans to take the pleasures which our enemy has produced at times or ways or in degrees which he has forbidden. Hence, we always try to work away from the natural condition of any pleasure to that in which it is least natural, least redolent of its maker, and least pleasurable. So you see what he's getting at. That, that pleasures, uh, including simple ones like food and drink and work, are built into the fabric, into the warp and woof of this world. And God means them for good. But in our sin, we take even simple pleasures and, and, and twist them or distort them. And so the preacher says that, that we have to push back against that. He says uh, that we have to take things as God gives them in his word and in his world, and refuse to try to make them into something that they're not. In other words, we, we can't act like peace is war. Uh, war is peace. We can't feast every day or vacation when it's time to work. Wisdom, in other words, is recognizing the, the season and, and squaring up to it faithfully. Uh, squaring up to what God gives us. And this is a, a profound mystery preacher says, all these times are rooted in eternity, all these seasons, and that we cannot find out what God is doing. We cannot fathom his providence. He is a creator. We are the creatures. Therefore, we must rest in these, these creaturely things. And He tells us, he calls us to eat, drink, work, laugh, embrace, break down, build up, speak, love, and even hate in all their good time. And so in the mystery of God's providence, even the the times of disquiet, even the times of pain and confusion and sorrow are somehow a part of this story of redemption from sin that was planned by the Father and executed by the Son and applied by the Spirit so that with many ugly threads, God weaves something beautiful. That leads us to our last section. Um, I said this a a minute ago, but again, uh, all of this is rooted in eternity. And so verse 14, I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. In other words, God's providence and his purposes are fixed. That doesn't mean that uh, all the little things of life and their seasons don't matter. It means the opposite, that that they fully and ultimately and eternally matter. And the preacher understands this, and he's encouraging you to as well. So to to try to bring it all together for you, Ecclesiastes is, is begging you to see your life and the seasons in it Good and bad, sunshine and shadow is a part of the the story of redemption. It's saying, in fact, that you must, that you must do this because without that type of, of vision, without that type of wisdom, that life will appear as chaos and death will seem overwhelming. Say um, writer for a sports website, I've been keeping up with for a while. He's actually from Dallas. Uh, his name is Jonathan Charks, uh, T-J-A-R-K-S, and he writes about basketball. I'm not even particularly that big of an uh, NBA fan, but I, I knew who he was and had read some of his stuff on a, a secular website, and then very unexpectedly, I found out that, that he was um, a Christian when an interview with him showed up on, on the Gospel Coalition website if you're familiar with that. And so in that interview, Chark says that he grew up completely unchurched. And then eight or nine years ago, he said this, he said, I was at a, (laughs) this is unbelievable. I was at a new year's Eve rave rolling on ecstasy. I'm at this concert. I'm out of my mind. And then I see the mask from V for Vendetta on the virtual background. Everyone's dancing and I'm watching and thinking Oh, they're really worshiping this mask that could be a demon. I just had this sense of, oh my gosh, there are spirits in the world. This is crazy. I freaked out and thought, if there are spirits in the world, then there is probably God. And if there's a God, then I better be on his side, and I better be a Christian. And after that, I called my friend... (coughs) This is a friend of his who had previously shared the gospel with him. And I trusted Christ, joined the church, and started walking with God from there. That is unbelievable. I mean, that's an incredible, incredible conversion. Someone would be saved at a rave, um, rolling on ecstasy. Uh, It's like Packer said, this world's course is enigmatic, and much of what happens is completely inexplicable to us. But then the second part of that quote, you'll remember, is this. "Packer says, most occurrences under the sun bear no outward sign of a rational, moral God ordering them at all. The interview on the Gospel Coalition, I just quoted, was published in June of 2020. And a little over two years later, Jonathan Charks died of Ewing sarcoma, which is a rare bone cancer. And uh, he left his wife and two-year-old son behind. Now, how are we to explain that? Why would God uh, miraculously save someone like that um, and then uh, immediately take them home? Uh, I think without wisdom, that story makes no sense whatsoever. It looks like chaos. It looks like tragedy. But with wisdom, Jonathan Chart's story is transformed. And the key here is that the same is true for us, that your story is transformed, because in the gospel story, death doesn't have the upper hand, and it certainly doesn't have the final word. Uh, In the gospel story, God set his purposes in eternity past. He numbers our days. He works all things for his own glory, and even death itself serves his purposes. How do we know? Because of Jesus. When the time came, Jesus squared up to the cross that God called him to. He suffered and died, but God raised him up again in glory. And he will do the same for you in due season. Nothing is unordered. Nothing is chaos. Nothing is tragic at the last day when God sets all of our sufferings, and sorrows uh, to rights. Preachers love to end with poems. It's very fitting for Ecclesiastes, which is a poetic book. And so, uh, this is from a beautiful hymn by William Cooper called God Moves in a Mysterious Way. And it gets at some of the deep joy and heartache and mystery of the seasons of our lives and how all those things are, are anchored in God's providence a providence that is far beyond our understanding. and So I'm going to read the whole thing. It's it's that good, and we'll close with this. William Cooper. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage, take Clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter. He will make it plain. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you again for your word, Uh, even the somewhat difficult and confusing parts of it, and we don't claim to understand everything in Ecclesiastes. And so we pray that uh, you would show us uh, what is true from it and that you would guide us into your goodness and your gospel um, through Ecclesiastes in particular and what we discussed today, but um, through your word in general. Pray that you would draw us deeper and deeper uh, into your truth and yourself. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.